In this episode of Desert Island Torah, we have the Sukhut of speaking to Rob Ruven Tarragon, the Dean of Overseas Students at Yeshiva HaKotel, the Educational Director of the World Mizrahi Movement, and Rosh Bet Midrash at Camp Mushava I.O. Rav Tarragon studied at Yeshiva Tarazion and is a Wexner Fellow and Musmach, the Israeli Chief Rabbinate. He has completed a BA in Science and Philosophy at Yeshiva University and an MA in Jewish History and Education at Toro College. Thank you so much, Rob Tarragon, for joining us today. It's a real zechut to have you with us. Great to be here. So it's Desert Island Torah. Three pieces of Torah that you would take to a desert island. What do they mean to you? Why are they so important to you? Really looking forward to learning and finding out your three pieces. So if we jump right in, should we go with your first piece? So uh, it's interesting that the most important story of religious commitment is, of course, Hekidat Yitzchak. Avram shows the willingness to sacrifice what's most precious to him. What's interesting is how we commemorate that event. The one mitzvah we have to commemorate that event is the shofar. And it's interesting that that's what we choose to commemorate the event because it has no connection to Yitzchak. Yitzchak, of course, did not have horns. The shofar commemorates the ram that Avram brought on his own after the Akedah. Why do we choose to commemorate this seminal event through the ram and not through the actual Akedah of Yitzchak? I think the answer is very important and central to our lives as Ovdeh Hashem. Um, the first part of the Akedah, of course, is a huge lesson about the willingness to sacrifice and give whatever God asks for. But it's pretty irrelevant because God will never ask any of us to sacrifice our child. The second part of the Akedah, after God told Avram that he was finished, is where Avram continued to look for opportunities of how to serve God. We're told in the wake of the Akedah that Avram raised his eyes and he saw a ram caught in the thicket. He was looking for additional ways when God did not speak to him of how he could serve Hashem. And that's how he found the ram. And that's when God gave him the blessings, not, not after he showed the willingness to sacrifice Isaac. And that's what we commemorate. The interest, the search for how to serve God beyond the generic things described in the Torah. The Torah can only include things that are for all Jews in all times. But there's much more to our lives. This is how the Chetam Sofer explains the Gemara in Yavamos Tafkuf Tes, which says, anyone who says they have only Torah lacks even Torah. What else is there? The Chetam Sofer explains the interest in serving God in the personal ways beyond the ways that all Jews are commanded to serve Hashem. And we see this in many of our great leaders. For example, Mordechai, who charges Esther with the responsibility to go to Achashverosh, and when Esther responds and says she can't, how can she dare do this? Mordechai says, maybe this is the reason why you've become queen. When Esther became queen miraculously, most people shrugged their shoulders and moved on. Mordechai was trying to figure out what the message was, what the mission was, what God wanted from them. Um, and this is a really critical part of Judaism. It's summarized by the Mishnah in Avod, which tells us to make God's will our own will, so that God will make our will his will. We all want God to care about the things we want, but why should he? When our will reflects what he wants in this world, then what we want reflects what he wants, and it's something that he's interested in. So this is a really a mission statement about what it means to be uh, an Evid Hashem, someone who sees themselves in this world to fulfill God's will beyond just the mitzvot that we have. Absolutely, I think... The Peshat of being holy 
is that Hashem tells us to be holy because He is holy. So we partner with Hashem in this world to do good and do chesed um, and work hard to achieve great things. And it's a great message. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, I, it, it definitely is true about the Kedusha. It's part of what's unique in Judaism, which is we're called upon to emulate God. Uh, we're not just similar to God in that we're created in His image. We also, as the Jewish people, are God's children, as the Torah tells us in Sefer Dvarim, which means that we should see ourselves as being able to to emulate on the highest of levels because we have a relationship, not just a similarity, but a relationship as well. Absolutely. So should we go into your second piece? Sure. Okay. So uh, we live in a challenging time where uh, we're trying to figure out how to maintain our traditions. Shimon Perez said that there used to be that a Jew is someone who has a Jewish mother. Today, a Jew is someone who has Jewish grandchildren uh, because that's a very hard thing to ensure. And I think there's a message for us about this uh, in Parshat Vayechi. Parshat Vayechi is a parsha named, of course, after life, but it opens with the death of Yaakov and concludes with the death of Yosef. And you wonder why a parsha about death is called life. Just so we shouldn't think it's coincidental, the only other parsha in the Torah named life, Chai Sarah, it's also about death. Uh, the beginning of the parsha is the death of Sarah, and the end of the parsha the death of Avram. I think the lesson is that we learn the most about life when a person dies, we're able to evaluate who they are, and that life is really about what happens after you die. That's the best way to evaluate what a person's life amounts to. I'll tell us, in fact, that Yaakov didn't die. And it says it didn't die because his children are still alive. The obvious question is most people have children who they leave behind in this world. So why is it particularly Yaakov who... Um, who doesn't die. But of course, this fits beautifully with the parsha of Vayechi Yaakov. I think we get the answer when we see Yaakov's interaction with his grandchildren. Um, Yosef brings Ephraim and Menashe to him before he dies, and Yaakov is very focused on them. He compares them in his mind to Reuven and Shimon. They get a portion like their own, his own children. Uh, he gives them personal brachot. He, in fact, blesses Yosef about them. We're familiar with the bracha, Hamalach HaGoalosi, famous bracha, he tells them, the Jews will bless their children and wonder why we bless boys to be like Ephraim and Menashe, not Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, which would be the parallel to Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah, which is how we bless uh, young women. Why? Why is Yaakov so focused on them? If you look at the beginning of Yaakov's words, he says, they are the children born to you before I got here, before I got to Mitzrayim. Ephraim and Menashe are the only two Jews alive at that time who weren't born and raised in the home of the Avot. Yaakov's children born to him in Canaan, Yaakov's grandchildren born to him in Mitzrayim were all born into that family. These are people who need to choose how they want to identify. And you see how clear this is from the fact that we're told after he speaks so highly and preciously about these grandchildren, Yaakov turns and says, he looks at them and says, who are these it's surprising that he would say he feels so close with them and then not recognize them. But of course, he doesn't recognize them because they look so different. And the truth is that if Yaakov came into a shul in England or America and looked around the room, I don't think he'd recognize many of us either. Culturally, we look very different. The question is whether we're really connected. If you look interestingly, Yaakov says both that Kiruvain v'shimon lihem, they are mine, but he also says yihiyuli, 
in the future they'll be to me. Because on the one hand, he sees themselves as connected, he sees them as connected to him, but they have to make that choice. And this is what Yaakov teaches them and us in his brachot to Yosef and then to the children. It says, What kind of bracha is that? Avram's brachas, Yitzchak's brachas were about physical benefits, about what you gain in this world. Naming children, that's a bracha. But really, that's the greatest bracha a father can give a child, especially in Egypt. The bracha Yaakov gives Yosef is that Yosef's children will name their children after his ancestors. And what he's saying here is a profound message about continuity, about the fact that Yosef, who was so concerned, we see in the end of the Parsha, about being left behind in Mitzrayim, him and his family, and thus he asks his brothers to take his body out. Yaakov is telling Yosef there'll be this continuity. And the truth is, what's unique about the Jewish people, maybe the greatest miracle of the Jewish people, is that we're the only people in the world who named their children after people who lived 35 years ago. There are, of course, descendants of the Greeks, the Romans, the Persians, but none of them named their children Aristotle, Julius Caesar, uh, Marmaduke. But the Jews continue naming their children after their past. And this is how we have that continuity. It's a pasuk in Yeshayahu, by the way, by the way, where Hashem says, Kain Yamud Zarachem Vishimchem. Not just they'll be descendants, but they'll have the same names. Rambam and the Mornibuchim says this is how the Jews are different than other nations. And it's an important reminder for us. We live in a world where people often look for magical, new, creative names. When you name someone after your ancestors, you're showing a model of continuity to the future. And this is the message that Yaakov gives of Rabbi Menashe. He says, look, you can choose to find the new path for yourselves. If you do, that's what your children will learn from you. If you want your children to learn from you, to identify with you, you have to show that you identify with your past. If you do, as the first Jews who choose to identify with their past because you're raised independently, you'll be the model for future generations and how they bless their children. And we, of course, bless our children to be like Ephraim and Menashe. We also bless them to be like our own ancestors. And that's how we turn to God when we say in our tefillah elokeinu, avotenu. And a critical part of raising children as part of a mesora is identifying on one's own as part of a mesora. And we need to show our children that we see ourselves as a continuation of our own past in order for them to see themselves as a continuation of ourselves. And I often tell students when they get married, I ask them if they want their grandchildren to get married in the same way they are. And of course, they say yes. And I say, well, the way you ensure that is by getting married the same way your grandparents did. Because there's a philosopher who said that when you wed yourself to the current trends, you become a widower in the next generation. Part of the eternal nature of Judaism is the ability to connect to our eternal values and not be lured into whatever happens to be the passing fads of the world around us. Yaakov Avinu is the first of the Avot. All of his children followed him. All of his children were on the path, and that's why Lomet, the other Avot, died. Avram died a little through Yishmael, Yitzchak died a little through Esav. Yaakov Avinu Lomet, all of his children followed that path. And Dafka, through the challenging circumstances of moving and being part of other cultures, that's why it's a huge model for us about how to be a part of a continuation of cultures. I'll just mention another aspect of it, which is Parshat Baichi also emphasizes Yaakov's relationship with Eretz Yisrael, particularly the way he describes it. Of course, he doesn't call it Eretz Yisrael, and he doesn't call it Eretz Canaan. He calls it Eretz Avotai, the land of my ancestors. So again, if a person is connected to their ancestors, they see the land as 
representative of those ancestors, but they were connected to what our first ancestors, where we come from. So it's all wrapped up in one, this sense of continuity that Parashat Vayechi teaches us, which is the root of true eternal life. Absolutely. Um, important piece. You said about the Gemara in Tanis about Yaakov like never dies. And I think we, we're living on that. We're Am Yisrael, B'nai Yaakov, B'nai Yisrael. We're living the legacy of Yaakov. Um, and it's important that we remember who we are, our identity. Yaakov was MS, he was truth, and we should stay true to who we are as Am Yisrael. For sure, definitely. So should we go with your third piece? Okay, yeah. So we talked about what the mission in life should be. We talked about how we find ourselves through uh, our tradition, our Misora. The last piece is a Pasuk we're all familiar with. Um, it's a Pasuk that the Chafetz Chaim when asked for a skula, people are always looking for skula, magical ways that they can live a good life. He said, this is greater than all the skulas. And the Pasek he quoted is a Pasek he chose for the name of his Sefer, and he's known by, This Pasek, the Chafetz Chaim knew the significance of because Gemara, the Midrashim, talk about how uh, peddlers used to sell this as the secret for, for life. Now, many people think these psukim are about the Isra of Lashon Hara. The truth is, they're in Sefer Tehillim, Perak Lamedalid, which doesn't speak about Isurim. Tehillim is about yearning for God, advice on life. So what are these psukim actually about? I think the answer we find in the first pasuk, who desires life? What is a desirable life? The answer given by these psukim is, Ohev Yamim person who can love every day of life. Imagine what kind of life we would have if we could love each day of it. Secret given by the Pasuk of how to love each day of life is Lirotov, seeing the good um, in life. Person wakes up in the morning, sees all the good in their family, all the good in their friends, all the good in their school or workplace. Obviously, they're going to have a wonderful day. Person who wakes up in the morning, sees all the bad in those aforementioned groups. They may have an accurate portrayal of life. What kind of life are they going to have if they believe they're surrounded by such terrible people and such a terrible world? Sadly, we live in a world that's full of criticism and negativity, uh, both the secular world, the Jewish world. Turn on talk radio. It doesn't matter if you're listening to politics, sports, whatever it is, it's criticizing people. And it, 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 it spills over onto us. And we pay the price with our life of not being able to love each day and not being able to have a desirable life. The advice that Sefer Tehillim gives is that one should hold their tongue from speaking about the bad, their lips as well. Because if you if you don't hold back and you're constantly talking about the bad, you can't focus on the good. And it's not just because it's a mitzvah or an avera. It's because you lose the precious health of a good life. And this, of course, is the message of sarat. Sarat is the one sin that turns into a disease. And again, it turns into a natural disease because it's expressive of there being something wrong with the person, which expresses itself through this leprosy, through this rash. And uh, that's the, the deeper idea here of why we call bad speech Lashon Hara. It's about the tongue. It's not Dibura, it's Lashon Hara. If a person uh, curses, it's Nibul Peh. A person has desecrated their mouth because there's something wrong with the organ itself. And obviously, this is about being able to focus on the good. We see how much trouble people get when they focus on the bad. The Mishnah in Avo tells us that 
ayin hara, yetzer hara, and sinat habriot. Negativity is motzian et adam in haolam. It drives a person out of their natural lives. We see, for example, Miriam, great prophetess, uh, focusing negatively on uh, Moshe. That was a terrible punishment of leprosy she received. She becomes the model of it. The very next parsha, parsha Shlach, Rashi explains, is connected right after Miriam because the Miraglim saw the negative in Israel. It's all connected. They should have learned from Miriam not to focus on the negative. We get in so much trouble when we focus on the negative in ourselves, in others, in the world around us. The Rav Nachman Mibreslov, he said his most important piece was Simon Reish Pebet. And that piece is he discusses the mission in Avot that encourages us to judge other people favorably. Have you done? It's called Adam Matafsho. And I think what troubled Rav Nachman is why are we being encouraged to judge favorably? We should be encouraged not to judge. It should say, like another mission in Avot says. So the simple answer is to be a cynical Jew and say, you can't tell Jews not to judge people. We're programmed to judge people. So they encourage us to judge people favorably. But why are we programmed to judge people? Rav Nachman explains, we should judge other people, but favorably. We should seek the positive in every person. He says, even a Russia Gomor. He also adds later, even in oneself, because it's self-fulfilling. If you see someone as positive because you focus on their positive, it brings them to want to aspire to realize that. If you see someone as negative, you inspire them, chas v'shalom, the opposite, to want to realize that. How we see people impacts how we see them and also how they see themselves. And it's so critical for us to be able to have the proper perspective looking at the world, people positively. I'll share a couple of stories about this. Baal Shem Tov was once walking with his students. They saw the town water carrier. Baal Shem Tov asked him how he was getting along. And the water carrier said, you should know my life is really bad. It's like I'm already older. My back is broken and I'm still carrying water. It's not easy for me. He said, my wife, sick. I spend so much time taking care of her. and She's always sad about her situation. But the worst part is I have two daughters who are older and not married. And it's just really frustrating for me. Baal Shem Tov said to him, I give you a bracha that things should look different. The next day they bumped into the water carrier again. The Baal Shem Tov asked him, how are you doing? The guy answered wonderfully. Because, you know, I'm older, but I can still carry water. Most of my friends can no longer work out. My friends who are still alive live alone. My wife is sick, but at least I'm not alone. I have her as companion. And you know what the best part of my life is, he tells the Baal Shem Tov? I have two daughters who are so wonderful that nobody in the world is good enough for them. And the lesson, of course, is it's all a matter of perspective. When we're able to focus on the good, that gives us the kind of life we, we want to have. Absolutely. Um, vital message and I think each piece that you've really powerfully shared has got that really important message on how to live our lives best and thank you so much for sharing such inspiring Torah with us Shukach to you for uh, running this program and should have many many more programs of uh, bringing Torah from from teachers to the world Amen, thank you so much Thank you for listening to Desert Island Torah. Feel free to share our podcast with family and friends so that we can reach out to Amisrael. And if you enjoyed that episode, please feel free to download and subscribe. And if you want to discuss your own Desert Island Torah, get in touch at desertislandtorah at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.